Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with strength and conditioning coach, Matt Nickel. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So really excited to bring Matt Nickel on the podcast for this episode. So in this episode with Matt, we discuss a lot about his background in teaching and how that's laid the foundations for him to develop two businesses, one a coaching business uh, and one a nutrition business. And then we del- del- delve into them businesses themselves and how he's kind of transitioned, not transition, but picked up the skills necessary to actually succeed in both businesses. Then we have a little chat around something that I chatted to Mike Boyle around and something that Mike speaks obviously very candidly on and that's bilateral versus unilateral exercises. And then that transitions nicely into how the stuff that he does with his private clients in his private space translate onto the ice because obviously Matt is a, uh, is a big ice hockey guy. As a strength coach, you realize for me, for example, with my professional athletes, the most important thing that I can do for them is to keep them healthy. You know, the, the league minimum salary in the NHL is $600,000 US. If I can allow them to, to squeeze out one more season than they could have without my help, well, I've, I've provided them tremendous value. But just before we do get into this chat with Matt, I just want to say a big thanks to Vald Performance, makers of the Nordboard, Groin Bar, and all new Human Track. So Human Track is a motion capture system which integrates the Xbox Connect and four IMUs which uh, are placed all around the body. So there's some really exciting stuff coming out of Val Performance, but there's there's a couple of videos that are online and can be found on their website at valdeperformance.com, which kind of shows a little bit more about the all new Human Track and obviously the Nordboard and Groin Bar. Also sponsoring this episode is Forstex. So if you are interested in getting to know about jump monitoring and the tech behind it, or one option of the tech behind it, that's Forstex, I would encourage you to have a little listen to episode 138 of the podcast, sorry, 139 of the podcast, and 138, 139 of the podcast, which is uh, co-owner of Forstex, Dr. Daniel Cohen. And in that episode, he talks about jump monitoring, all the metrics that can uh, potentially influence uh, readiness, readiness to train, um, all different types of uh, aspects of jump monitoring, and it's certainly not a sales pitch for Forstex. So if you are interested, visit episode 139, and that's strengthofscience.com forward slash 139, or visit their website, forstex.com. So over to the episode with Matt. I hope you enjoy and I will speak to you soon. So Matt Nickel, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. Thank you for giving up your time this afternoon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you, mate. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, just want to give us a little bit of background on yourself, your education, past jobs, current job, etc. Sure. Uh, so I'm a, a strength and conditioning coach by trade uh, based out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I've uh, been doing this for uh, 20 years. At least I've been in, you know, an employed uh, strength coach for 20 years, but I was you know, toiling in the craft uh, long before that. I think probably I would imagine like most strength and conditioning coaches, I was a, an aspiring athlete at, at one time. And uh, so obviously spent a lot of years before I ever worked as a strength coach you know, studying nutrition and studying the, the science of training and trying to find ways to to train more efficiently and effectively for my for my own sake so you know I've been doing that a very long time I've um, but in, in with regard to education I've uh, I've an undergraduate degree uh, in uh, education from McGill University uh, which is in Montreal in Canada and I have a master's degree in uh, kinesiology and uh, a master's degree in coaching uh, with a focus on uh, biomechanics and uh, have been uh, moved to Toronto uh, to in 1998 from Montreal and that was uh, shortly after that did my master's and I've been here ever since so I've, I'm currently working uh, privately I have a small private facility 
here in Toronto, where I work primarily with uh, professional athletes in their off-season period, helping them uh, with rehabilitation and just with general strength and conditioning. And uh, I do some consulting for a variety of teams in the, the National Hockey League with ice hockey players and uh, teams that play uh, football, American football, whether it's the Canadian Football League or in the National Football League in the U.S. And uh, that would sort of take me to here. I've, I've had been a team strength and conditioning coach. Uh, I worked uh, for our NHL hockey team here in Toronto, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, for nine years. And uh, that would pretty much bring us, uh, I guess, up to speed in terms of a, a summary of my past employment and my education. Mm-hmm. So was the move from Montreal to Toronto for the job? Or was that previous to that? No, you know, at the time, so I, um, I did a, I did a, a program in university. My undergraduate uh, study was called concurrent education. So at the time in in Ontario, or where I'm from, getting a teaching job was pretty difficult, and that's that's what I assumed that I had wanted to do. I I wanted to be a, a phys ed teacher, and uh, you know, or I, at least I thought I did. And uh, it was it was tough to get into teachers' college if you applied separately. So there at McGill University in Montreal, uh, there is there was a concurrent ed program, so you could do an undergraduate degree. So I did an undergraduate uh, in uh, phys ed, physical education, and and history. And at the same time, you did your teacher college. So it just meant, uh, you know, at, at the end of the school year, when everybody else went home, you'd stay for an extra month and you'd, you'd, you'd work away at your, at your teaching certificate, but you didn't have to reapply. You were automatically accepted. So uh, I did that program. So when I was done, when I graduated, I was actually teaching uh, high school in, in Montreal. And uh, I didn't have a contract for the following year. I was just on a, a short-term supply contract. So a friend of mine uh, had called me in Toronto to ask me if I would be interested in a job uh, doing personal training, which I, you know, I didn't even know that there was such a thing. This is, again, this is going back 21 years now. So I thought, you know, I, I, I was sure that there probably were some guys doing that in Hollywood for celebrities, but I didn't know you could do it for, you know, for regular people here in Canada. So I, I thought, well, you know, there's no teaching job in the summer anyway. So I would move to Toronto and try that out. And if I didn't like it, I would move back to Montreal and, and you know, continue to do my supply teaching. But it, as it turned out, I, I kind of fell in love with it and uh, stuck it out and been here ever since. So do you think, do you think the teaching laid the groundwork for you as a coach. I mean, I've spoke to um, the likes of Kelvin Giles and a couple of other guys that have that have come on the podcast previously that have done a whole career in teaching then kind of found their way into coaching. Do you think that's kind of laid the foundations for you Absolutely. moving forward? Absolutely. It's something that, you know, at the, at the time, I didn't see it that way. But now as I, as I look back, it absolutely did. And I think that, you know, I, my, my master's degree, you know, I've done kinematics and biomechanics, you know, at the master's level. That you know, that education, you know, is, I wouldn't say it's useless, but, you know, in terms of being able to use that level of study of biomechanics and, and apply it in assessing the biomechanics of an athlete in my, in my gym, it's been, you know, it's next to useless, uh, which is not, I don't want to discourage, I don't want to discourage anyone from going on and, you know, higher learning and studying, but, but uh, in, a, in terms of practicality on a day-to-day basis in my job, but the, probably the most useful formal education that I did was that, was that uh, teaching degree, my, my education degree, because regardless of what you want to do, you know, if you, if you want to be a, a strength and conditioning coach or a personal trainer or a sport coach or a chiropractor or anything else, at some point you're going to have to be able to get people to do the things you want them to do. So for me as a strength and conditioning coach, regardless of the amount of knowledge that I have about physiology or biomechanics or nutrition, it all comes down to, am I going to be able to, to disseminate that information to the athlete? And am I going to be able to get them to do it? So understanding how people learn uh, and, and, and not just one style. And that's something that, you know, I've been guilty of early on, but I think a lot of coaches, that's something that would be worth them working on is you, if you're going to be in this, you know, for the long game and you want to work at the highest levels, you're going to, you're going to have various types of athletes that learn in various different ways. Some of them are kinesthetic learners, some of them are audible learners, some, some people respond to certain types of instructions and others respond to different types of instructions. So I think studying the ways in which people learn uh, and the methods uh, to teach them, I think has been invaluable for me in my day to day. Do you think, like we say, if you, if you do a sports science degree, it doesn't actually make you a, a sports scientist. Does, does, does doing a teaching degree make you a teacher or do you think there's something that is that before no, and that's just no. nurtured? No, no, absolutely not. So, I mean, there's, you know, and I'm sure you would, you could say the same and, I, and I'm sure that every guest you have on your show would, would agree that 
we've all had many, many great teachers in our life that didn't go to teacher's college and have a teaching certificate. Cause. And we, we've probably also encountered many, you know, regrettably, there are probably many teachers you could look back on. And, you know, if I brought up their name, you would shudder today about this person that you had 30 years ago in a classroom. <laughs> Uh, then they were a certified teacher and then they left a, a terrible impression on you and they've, you know, scarred you for life maybe. But uh, no, I, I don't think so at all. You, you certainly don't need to be a, a, a certified teacher to be a great teacher and to teach others. Absolutely not. However, if you are someone that has a passion uh, for helping others and you, and you en enjoy teaching and enjoy that sort of thing, it certainly helps to understand a little bit of the science uh, of, of how people learn and and what what ways there are of delivering information is not the same for everybody i've got some athletes that that respond really well to one style of coaching and everyone now is talking about intrinsic and extrinsic cues and how we do this well there, there isn't one right way to do it you know i've got a wide variety of athletes from different sports and different cultural backgrounds and, and it's important to be able to learn how to teach to different styles when you look back on, say, for for instance, this week, the guys that you've coached, do you consciously change how you speak, the tone, the, the language that you use, depending on the group or the individuals that you're coaching? Or has that become absolutely. Is that just a natural? Okay. Do that, yeah, consciously. Absolutely. absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I think you have to. And, and I mean, whether consciously or unconsciously, you absolutely have to do that. And you know, as again, if you're in this, you know, if you're if you're a, lo a young coach who's uh, starting out and you're in this for the long haul, this is not, you know, you're, you're not you're not doing this until your acting career takes off. You're, you want to be a lifer <laughs> in this in this business. I think you, you're you're going to encounter lots of different types of people. And, and, and more often than not, these are the athletes or the clients that come in and you know, you're frustrated because why don't they get it? You know, why can't this guy just get it? I'm, I'm, I'm doing an, a wonderful job of explaining it the same way I've explained it to a hundred other people that got it, but this person, it's their fault. They're not getting it. You know, at the end of the day, they're the customers. So it's, 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 it's your job to find out how to tailor the, the delivery of the information. And I know that, I mean, I can, uh, you know, I, a few years ago, I, I was hired by the uh, the Russian Olympic Committee to to go and do work in Russia, and I was lecturing the first time I went over lecturing all day, every day, for a week to a you know a, a theater full of coaches who didn't, for the most part, didn't speak a lick of English. So, and and if you know anything about you know, I don't want to certainly don't want to stereotype, but there are a lot of very subtle and not so subtle cultural differences between, you know, between any, between any population of people anywhere in the world, but certainly between Russians and Canadians where, you know, my, my humor was not so funny anymore. You know, no one, no one, really, no one, no one appreciated my sarcasm and, you know, my, all of my wonderful witty analogies just went over like a lead balloon. So it was, it forced me to learn, okay, this is these people, my delivery isn't going to work. You know, I've got, I have to learn how to teach differently, you know, and that's so, that's just one example, you know, and I've got athletes, you know, I've working in the national hockey league. I had athletes that were, you know, from the Czech Republic and Slovakia and Sweden and Finland and all over the former Soviet union. You know, you've got athletes who speak no English, who speak very limited English and have very different learning styles and educational backgrounds. So you, it's your job to make sure they all get, the information they need and get the coaching they need. So you have to learn to be able to adjust and learn different styles. Mm -hmm. So it's, I guess, some, someone that's coming through the kind of traditional route of a, a sports science degree, a strength and conditioning slash sports science masters, to actually learn them skills, they have to put themselves in the front of that auditorium with 100 Russians, that oh. type of scenario where they, they, they sink or swim and they you learn them kind of skills or is there other ways that you can actually learn them type of things without going uh, through that kind no, of hardship? No, I think, uh, I mean, obviously that's, <laughs> it's probably is the best way sink or swim. Uh, but you know, you can't artificially, you know, it's, you can't artificially create that sort of a situation. But I, I would say that, you know, someone said something to me once about, okay, well, if, if you had an athlete in, if you had a deaf mute athlete in your gym whose first language was in English, would you still be able to, to coach them? Would you still be able to get them to do something? And it really made you think, you know, there's, uh, you know, if you, you know, I'm reading, uh, just finished the, the book called the undoing project about, uh, 
Kahneman and Tversky in talking about have them having students teach another student how to teach another student how to do something. Oh, and, and how, and how incredibly, and I think the, the example they were using in the book was, uh, I don't remember exactly, but sort of a, you know, one of those little pub puzzles where there's like a little, you know, silver ball in a maze and you've got to guide it around and get it in yeah, the yeah. hole. If you, yeah, so teach somebody how to teach somebody else how to do that. You know, and I think that if, no, no different than if you were to, uh, it's actually really good for me because a lot of my athletes, you know, especially early on would ask for uh, programs, takeaway programs, if they're playing, you know, I've, I've, I have clients now that, you know, I have a team that I consult for that, that that's in Moscow uh, and in Russia. I've got athletes that play in, in Beijing and all over, you know, all over Europe and North America. So if they ask for a program, can you explain to them how to do it in words? And it really forces you to think about that. And then versus versus a picture or a diagram versus a, a demonstration. So it's important to understand all those different styles of learning. You know, some people, words on a paper are meaningless. It's not going to help. They need to, they need to see it. They need to feel it. They're a kinesthetic learner. They have to have to do one. And, you know, in, in teacher's college, especially in physical education, you learn the concept of show one, teach one, do one. So explaining, you know, like just even that process is something that, you know, we drill home with, with my staff and it's something that I see, you know, fantastic, you know, coaches or, or, or maybe, maybe that's the wrong word, but coaches that are extremely knowledgeable, you know, so, so smart. And they've, they've got great technique, but they're, they're not, you know, they're not able to disseminate the information or they're, or they're not able to, to follow a simple process like show one, teach one, do one. So, so someone that's obviously influenced by things that are outside the kind of traditional strength and conditioning realm, and, and you've obviously got a business as well to run. And it always it always um, makes me laugh. When we, over here, we talk about the kind of lack of job security in English Premier League or English Premiership in, in rugby. But there's a lot of private facilities in the in the States that probably we don't have over here. And the job security there is people don't turn up because they're paying you directly. Yep. So that's a lack of job security. That's That's, you know, you've got to be switched on because they're going to, they have a choice to come or not. A soccer, player, a soccer player can, it has to be there. Um, so that's where it gets brutal. But where, where what, are the, um, what other influences do you have uh, on your business and on you as a coach that are maybe out of the traditional realms of, of S&C? Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic question. Um, well, I mean, I, there's, there's a lot. I mean, I, I wouldn't say like I have a, uh, this is this is my external influence uh, that I use and everyone should do that. I think I, I, I'd like to try to draw wisdom from, from anywhere I can find it. You know, it's fun. We, we just finished, we, you know, we've been talking about, you know, a back, having a background in formal education. That's, it's been invaluable to me. My whole family, my, my mother and father were teachers. My brother's a, a principal. His wife's a teacher. I have many friends that are that are educators. So, it's funny. There's a lot of t- a lot of the concepts, uh, you know, that are you know all of a sudden will become popular in, in strength and conditioning now. Like we're talking, you know, a hot topic in the last couple of years is this idea of uh, the discovery method of of learning and unstructured uh, unstructured practices and this and that. Well, that's, I mean, every kindergarten teacher knows that. You know, every 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 <laughs> you know every anyone who, who who runs phys ed programs for seven year old kids could probably run a hell of a dynamic warm up for pro athletes. It's really not. It's, and when you talk to them, they're kind of, you know, it's funny because I'll, I'll, I'll discuss these topics with them and they're kind of like, oh, that's, that's, that's a hot topic for you. That's kind of just what we do. So <laughs> there's a lot of, a lot of those things. And if, and if you came here, you'd see even my, my professional athletes, we play tag, you know, we, whether it's conditioning or part of a, part of a warm up, we'll, we'll incorporate things like that, that really aren't, that it's not groundbreaking. It maybe it is for strength and conditioning, but uh, it's certainly not. So, I mean, I, am always talking to, uh, different phys ed teachers that I know about, Hey, what, what do you, what are you, what are you guys doing? What's neat? What's cool? What are some fun ideas for stuff like that? And then you've, you know, as you, as you, as you touched on, I do have, in addition to the business of my strength and conditioning business, I have another, uh, very different business that, that, you know, that I'm a, an owner and a founder in. And, and so we're always looking at things like that. So, I have I have a, a number of clients that that come in now, especially when my athletes are are in season. So in the you know if the NBA, the NFL, and the NHL are all in season right now, 
uh, if you came into my gym, we've got a number of clients that are in the in you know in the financial industry. And I always I'm always asking them, always picking their brains. What do they do in a situation like this? How do you how do you handle business uh, challenges like this? And it's no different. A lot of those principles, you know, are are, are transferable to the world of sports. You know, it's, I've I've had uh, you know I've had we've had friends and family members here in the, in, the, in the military. I've uh, have a, had a client who's in charge of our uh, you know what would be our version of the you know the highest level of special operations in Canada. Uh, called the GTF two, and I, I would ask him at the time. No, I was I was working with him rehabbing an, an injury for him, but at the same time picking his brain about how do you you know what do you guys do in terms of uh, pre screening for uh, you know mental toughness? What do you do to develop leadership? What do you do you know to to you know handle the the stress of the job? Those sorts of things you know, and that's transferable. When I have when I have clients in here. Uh, you know, that are in the financial industry, I might be asking them about how do they, how do they make uh, risk assessments? Uh, how do they, you know, what analytics do they use? What, you know, is there an algorithm they use or is there a, is there a system that they use to determine the, the risks of a, you know, of a particular stock or the, you know, or the volatility of the, of, of the dollar or whatever it is? Because I'd like to know if we can do that, apply that to predicting risk for some of the teams that I consult for. Is is there a same? Is there you know? Is there a similar logic that we can use in, in determining which players we should take a chance on, which injuries uh, we should we should walk away from when we see which ones uh, we should risk? Is is there a metric for that? So, I think you can definitely be learning from anyone at any time. There's a lot. There's you know we we have some really cool concepts uh, in in our work with rehabilitation with athletes that I've taken from from basic motor learning and neurological rehab and, and stroke rehabs and, and, and I have some friends that are in that in that world in that business and I'll I'll ask them all the time and there's things that you know I, I can remember 20 years ago it's certainly not cutting edge now but we were doing a lot of work on the bilateral transfer effect in training you know uh, again all, and all that research was drawn from neurological rehab with stroke patients so I think you know there's certainly you can be you, you can and should be learning at, at all times from everyone so coming on to your second business that's, that you mentioned there, just talk to us a little bit about that. I'd love to get into the kind of nuts and bolts of, of that and where it started and okay, absolutely. where it came about, why it came about, how it came about. Yeah, absolutely. So I was, uh, so when I, when I was hired by the uh, Toronto Maple Police Hockey Club here, I was, it was uh, 2002 and I was hired as the strength and conditioning coach and the, and the team sports nutritionist as well. So I was tasked with, overseeing not just you know obviously the the food or educating them about the food that they consume but uh any of the supplements that that they were taking and at that time there was no drug testing in the nhl so you know at, at seven o'clock at night you know when everyone else is is getting ready for bed these guys are getting ready to play in a, a, a professional hockey game and they were taking you know any every anything and everything under the sun you know this is it's it's high stakes there's a lot of money involved and and they were looking always looking for products to enhance their performance so when i came into the team part of the i guess part of my appeal with some of the players is they they knew that i had a i had a reputation of being someone that was somewhat knowledgeable in that area so they were and and as a young guy i think i was the youngest guy in the in the league at the time and and probably a little bit nervous and insecure you know, starting this new, really demanding job, I was really happy to have something that the players were coming to me for and, and, you know, thought of me as having some level of expertise here. So I was the guy handing out all the pills and the shakes and the powders and, and whatnot. But uh, th there was always sort of a, there was there was a little bit of an underlying, you know, insecurity on, on my part about, about some of the products that we were using. I didn't know exactly what was in them. I, I wasn't entirely sure that they were good. Um, but you know that was sort of my job, so I was doing it. Um, and then in talking with a friend who was working for the uh, the league, he was discussing with me one day about how the fact there was going to be a labor stoppage uh, within the next year or two, because the the contract between the players and the league was coming due, and there would be a, whether whether there was going to be a strike or a lockout, they weren't sure. But one of the non-negotiable issues was going to be drug testing because of everything at the time. If you can, you know, anyone who's listening can remember back what was going on in baseball. At that time, uh, they had decided, okay, we need to 
get ahead of this thing and we need to make sure that we have mandatory drug testing. So the, that was something that was definitely going to happen. So when I heard that, uh, I started to really think about what was going on. I realized that I, I, I personally bear a lot of liability in the situation because I'm the guy who's dispensing all these supplements. And the players themselves bear a lot of liability soon because they'll be drug tested. But even more important than all of that to me was the fact that I, I, I first and foremost, you know, I, we should, you know, like a medical doctor, we should all believe that our first, the first thing before we worry about anything else is we should do no harm. We should make sure that we're, we're, we're safeguarding the health of the athletes that they're working with. And, and I wasn't really wasn't sure I was doing a great job of that. So in addition to, I mean, if, if you, you know, negate any of the, dietary supplements just the fact that at seven o'clock at night when your body is supposed to be winding down and getting ready for bed and your circadian rhythms are are following a, a pattern that's been set in motion for a long long time before we ever started playing ice hockey these guys are guzzling back high you know highly you know refined sugar beverages and caffeinated beverages and things like that it's just it's just not good for health whether whether or not it gives you an ergogenic benefit in the game tonight, which even then sometimes is debatable. It certainly isn't good for health. So I, I started to think about, okay, well, this is sort of a, a perfect storm of, of imperfect things that's, that's coming down the pipe towards me in that I'm not happy with the, the current state of affairs with regards to guys consuming high sugar beverages and, and, and caffeine this late at night. I'm not going to be able to continue to give out all of these nutritional supplements that I am now because, you know, that, that's just not right. So what could I do about it? So the first thing I did is I, I, I sat down one day and I went through, we, we had a giant trunk uh, that you probably could fit a person in with all of the pills and powders and, and things. So I went through and with all of the, you know, some of them had labels that were written in Russian or Swedish or Czech, but all, at least all the, all the labels that I could actually read, I contacted the companies and I said, you know, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. Uh, my athletes like to use your product. Uh, which is great. All I need is some documentation from you that you've had this stuff third party tested and it's all safe and approved. Right. And I thought this was going to be a kind of a formality, but I was shocked when not a single one of those companies, I remember this is, this is 2000 and this is 2002, not a single pro, not, not a single one of the companies could provide me with that. And, and they would tell me about, you know, good manufacturing practices or we've been in business for, X number of years and never had a problem. And I, and I thought, oh, that's not, you know, that's not going to cut it with, with, with my general manager. So, so I basically started, now I, I had previously worked, uh, when I graduated from university and I told you I'd, I'd moved to Toronto, I, I also took a job, uh, working for a guy by the name of Moro Di Pasquale. So Dr. Di Pasquale uh, was, you know, in my opinion is, or certainly arguably is, uh, you know, at the time was the world's expert on ergogenic aids and sports. Um, so he was a guy that I learned very much. He was one of my very first mentors and, and taught me so much. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I leaned on him for support. Uh, Dr. Eric Serrano is another close personal friend who's very knowledgeable in that field as well. And I basically said, okay, well, listen, I know enough about, uh, I know enough about the process of, of how to do this. Uh, I, I, did a lot of research in terms of what would we need to do from a, you know, from a chemical standpoint uh, to see if we could replicate uh, the effect that the players were looking for from the sugar and the caffeine and could we do it safely. So I spoke to our general manager about it and uh, he allowed me to go ahead and we procured the raw materials ourselves. Uh, we manufactured uh, our supplements for our players and we had it third party verified. NSA. So once we did that, we were able to say to our players, okay, we now have the following products for you to use. Uh, the ones that you that you were using before, we can no longer give them to you. I mean, if you choose to use them, I can't stop you, but I won't be able to assist you with it anymore. Uh, but we can make these products for you. So we started making, uh, you know, it was very, very basic at first. We had a a drink that the, that the athletes would use. It was a powder that they would mix in, into their, uh, into their drink when they were playing. And then, uh, another shake that they would take after the game, you know, a, a, a protein and carbohydrate drink that they would drink after the game. So what I found was I, I originally mixed this, this product into, you know, every, every sports team in the world has, has got bottles behind the bench that, you know, are 
filled with filled with liquid. And at the time, a lot of, a lot of that was was the traditional sugar based sports drink. So I was mixing uh, this product that I had come up with, which was you know a, a combination of different amino acids and minerals. Uh, into a slightly diluted version of that sports drink because I assumed at the time that they still needed some of this refined sugar. I just thought maybe less. And uh, so what we found over time was that originally we were mixing it in, in from about a 50% sport drink to 50% water solution with the new product, and the players all felt remarkably better. And it was really exciting. And then, you know, through sort of a, a little bit of a trial and error, a few of the players said that even though they, they felt a performance-enhancing effect, they didn't like the taste, it was too sweet, or it was kind of upsetting their stomach. So we went down to eventually a, a one-third sports drink and two-third water solution with this new additional supplement. And I, I was kind of prepared for, you know, some sort of decrement of performance, and again, this isn't this isn't purely subjective. I mean, we were doing blood and urinalysis uh, along with heart rate. Uh, with uh, we had both Polar and the Sunto team systems, uh, and we were doing Omega Wave assessments before and before and after games and the following morning. So, w- what I noticed was again the performance was enhanced still. So all of a sudden, I was realizing, well, made a, made a, maybe every you know every nutrition uh expert that that i had spoken to and all the books that i read told me about how it was vital that they had all these uh you know these refined carbohydrates and sugar throughout the course of the game but we've removed it now and i haven't seen a drop i haven't seen any of the bonking or the crashing that everyone's been talking about so we moved to uh, strictly to a a water only uh solution with uh, the addition of the product the, the the amino acid mineral formula and the guys did great and and you know both subjectively and objectively our results were fantastic so that was sort of the the big aha moment for me uh we continue to make the product so again it was never sold to anybody it was only for the use by our team uh a couple uh, about two years later um this the toronto raptors which is our nba team who are in the same building as us they they're one of their star players was having a lot of problems with energy uh, at the end of the game it was also having some problems with dehydration and cramping so they asked if i you know would come up and talk to them about some ideas so i you know gave them a few ideas i said hey in addition you could try this thing that we're using i mean i i don't know if it would work for basketball i'm not a basketball expert but it seems to be working for us uh it took off with that team as well and uh, so you know as naturally kind of organically how things go you know, an athlete would get traded away, uh, you know, or, or they would leave at the end of the season as a free agent and sign a new contract elsewhere, and they would call and ask for some of that stuff. So uh, if, if I flash forward to 2010 when I uh, was no longer with the team and I was running my own private business here, I started using the remaining product with my clients here, and it really sort of, uh, you know, it was wildly popular with these guys. And uh, I think when I was with the team, I never really truly – understood or appreciated how effective it was because at the end of the day anyone who's worked in pro sports can tell you that they're generally you know outside of their field uh, of sport they're generally pretty lazy guys they don't want to do anything they they certainly don't want to do anything that you could do for them so i didn't know if they loved the product because i made it for it and put them in the put it in their hand right they, I didn't know if maybe maybe they loved the product because they didn't have to pay for it, right? Maybe and if you if anyone who's listening has ever worked with ice hockey players, I also didn't know if they loved the product just because they're good guys and they didn't want to hurt my feelings. You know, you go to you go to mom's house or your mother-in-law and you're you know obviously you're gonna not not that she would ever listen, but if my mother-in-law is listening, if this doesn't apply to you, but you may go to someone's house and they want you to taste the muffins they made or the dish they made, you always <laughs> say it's great. You have some whether you want any or not, so. I wasn't sure if it was that, but when I started my own private business and was giving it out to guys from a variety of different teams in, in the NBA, the NFL, the NHL, it really kind of took off like wildfire. And uh, I realized, okay, this is really something. We've got something on our hands. So we, you know, uh, I started a business. One of my athletes um, was really sort of the driving force saying, hey, you know, I want, I, I need this product. I want to, I want to have it all season. I said, well, I, all I have, you know, I've got those six containers that are on the shelf. You can have those ones. That's all I've got left. And he said, well, I need it, you know, I need, I need a whole season's worth. And I said, well, unfortunately, you know, no manufacturer is going to talk to me if I'm going to make 30 containers or something. And he said, well, I, I want to, then in that case, I'll order for my entire team. I'll give you my credit card, give me enough for a whole team for a year. 
And I said, well, I, even even still, I'm not I'm not sure if that's going to get it done. A contract manufacturer doesn't want to deal with someone on, on on that level. And he said, well, listen, you know, let's sit down and, and talk about this. So, you know, he he had a friend that was, uh, you know, very passionate about sports marketing and was looking for a, an opportunity to break into the field. Uh, we hit it off and kind of formed this partnership and just decided to to turn it into a, a company. We, we it's. That was, you know, coming up on eight years ago now, and it's sort of taken off since then. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Matt. Hope you enjoyed part one. So in part two, there's more on the training talk with Matt, uh, more about discussing uh, bilateral and unilateral exercises, as well as make sure in that work off the ice transfers to or maximizes that transference onto the ice. So also... Coming up in part two is Matt's recommendations for books that have influenced his career. So he mentions quite a few in this episode. I'll put a link to them on Twitter uh, via at PaceyPerform, but I will also link them on the website, which is uh, strengthofscience.com, and uh, visit the Pace Performance podcast page, and all the links will be in there. So just before we do get into part two, just want to say another big thanks to Black Box Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. So Black Box are based in Belfast in Northern Ireland and they manufacture and distribute um, high performance gym equipment as well as uh, play flooring, which you might have heard um, a little bit more of now Ron McKeefrey is, uh, is involved with play. So they, they offer that high-spec um, high spec equipment and I know they have fitted out quite a few uh, gyms from, uh, in, in teams in the Premier League in, over here in England. So if you are interested in getting to know more about Black Box, you can find them at blkboxfitness.com and on Twitter at blkfitness. So I had some really fantastic reviews from their customers that I've spoke to. Obviously did my due, due diligence before um, they sponsored this episode. So make sure you check them out at, uh, at the website or on their Twitter. So thanks a lot for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed part one and hope you enjoyed part two just as much. So how does, a, how does an S&C coach become a businessman? What, 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 again, yeah. going back to the, going back to the, uh, outside influences, what, what kind of things, what kind of people are you listening to? What kind of people are you talking to, to, to kind of bring this together and, and move forward with it? Yeah. Well, I mean, unfortunately or unfortunately, uh, a lot of trial and error is the easy answer. And, um, I don't, I don't, I don't perceive myself to be such a great businessman. I think I've done a very good job of insulating myself with great, other great people who truly are great businessmen and uh, that have been able to, you know, have a pretty, pretty wide safety net below me as, a, as I've traversed this, this path that I'm on. I, I think that I'm, I'm one thing we, you know, I, uh, the one thing I kind of, ever since day one, what I realized and I, you know, and this part of this is talking to others and part of this, I guess, is just sort of a gut feeling that I always had was that I had an agreement with my, my primary business partner from day one. And I said, listen, here's, here's the deal is that, I've never sold this product. This has been my passion play. Like when I, when I, when I started this, you know, this, this, I never had any desire or intent to pursue this for any sort of commercial end result. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't, not only did I not try to sell it to anyone else, I didn't want to sell it to anyone else because I was employed by one team. I wanted that team. I really felt like we had an advantage if we were using this product. So it was kind of a, it, it, it did start with pure intent and, and I said, I think that as someone who doesn't, you know, I'm not a very savvy businessman, but I know that if you make or, or endeavor to make the best product, you're always going to have a market. Now, maybe you're not going to be wildly successful, but if you truly are the best in anything you do, there will always be business there for you. Now, that, that's not to discount the importance of understanding, you know, profit margins and understanding, you know, how to commercialize what you do. But I think, you know, if you... If you're a young S&C coach, whether, if, you, if we forget about the, the business of biosteel, if we could just apply those principles to your own training business, if you endeavor to become the best strength and conditioning coach that you can be, you're always going to have a job. You're always going to be employed. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be maximally profitable. You, you know, it, it would be important for you to spend time and learn, uh, you know, about how to run a proper business and how to 
how to manage your books and how to you know be be cognizant of, of profit margins and, and and turnover rates and all this sort of stuff. But with with BioSteel, we've we've done a very good job of, of I guess always trying to make sure that we are best in class in what we do. And uh, if you can do that, that makes it easy for the marketing guys. It makes it easy for the sales guys. It makes it easy for for everybody else. So I don't know if that, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but. Um, no, no, definitely, no, definitely. It's it's one thing that I've said before, and you talk about kind of young S and C coach. And I suppose it's young people, everyone really, everyone's everyone's looking after their. Everyone's got a brand, whether they like it or not. Everyone's running their own business, and the business is them. Um, and there's some things that I see online. It kind of makes me cringe, and maybe I put stuff that makes other people cringe as well. But you've just got to be really careful, and and I think anyone that can kind of get influences from the kind of business world, whether it's people like yourself or kind of, I don't know, people in, like you say, banking in, in whatever, it's always um, beneficial because we're in a world where people are trying to differentiate and people are looking for extra uh, add-ons to what they can do. And having that kind of business no, ahead is I always, a, always a, a good extra to have, as we've seen with people who are, SNC coaches who are writing books, who are building websites, who are making apps, who are yep. doing anything under the sun to to differentiate, um, and and their 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 businesses, they're building their brand. Yeah, and, I think you know what if, you know, uh, I, I love seeing it. It's great. I mean, there's there's a, kind of the way that I've always lived my life, and I think a cre- this is a credit to my the way I was raised and my mother in particular. Uh, but there's a there's a fantastic book that you know, would sum it all up. There's a book called The Go-Giver. I don't know if, uh, if I've, I don't know if you've heard of that book, but uh, no, I haven't. It, it, it really is. It's been true in my life and I really believe it's true in anything else. So as a young S&C coach that if you, you know, if you're continually delivering value at the highest level to your customers, you're going to be successful. You know, there, there's, there's no doubt about it to me. So if you can combine that with your own, passion to to grow and to learn and constantly be bettering your craft you're going to be successful now that doesn't mean i mean if you if you are if you are a chef that is passionate about creating you know delicious food for people and you really truly love what you do and you really truly enjoy and appreciate your customers and your goal is always to deliver great value to them that doesn't mean you're going to be it doesn't mean you're going to have a chain of restaurants all over the world. You're not going to, you know, you're not necessarily going to be McDonald's, but you, you, I think you, there always will be a market for you. You know, I, I really, maybe that's, maybe that's a little bit naive, but I, I've seen that to be true in, in my life. Uh, I think with, uh, with our business at BioSteel, that was, you know, when we, when we started, it was a matter of me reaching out to all of the SNC coaches that I knew in, in, in the NHL and the NFL and, and, and the NBA and saying, listen, this is, this is, you know, you know who I am. And, uh, you know, we've been, you know, colleagues or friends for, for, for a number of years. I've never, you know, promoted or endorsed a product or pitched you on anything else. Just please try this. And if you, if you love it, uh, great and if you don't love it that's okay too but let me know what you don't love about it and uh and maybe that's something we can fix and uh it was a pretty simple approach and and we got great buy-in with the people that used it and uh you know we were always sort of uh you know we're 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 at the at the the top end of the uh, of the price category in almost every retail outlet that we'll be in and that makes it difficult and uh we're you know, we're not for everyone, but uh, it's been successful because we sort of stuck to that idea that we're going to try to always make sure that we're, we're the best. I mean, we were, we were getting uh, NSF approved and HFL approved before that was ever mandatory. We were, we were third party screening all of our, our raw materials before that was ever mandatory. We were always trying to be a step ahead and, and just do what's best. And we had a lot of bumps in the road along the way and we made a lot of mistakes along the way. But I think the fact that we were able to maintain the integrity and the, and the, the quest to be, you know, best in class has, has been the reason we were able to stay alive and, and, and now be in a position where we can really turn the corner. Mm-hmm. So what, how many clients do you currently have? Well, it depends in the, in the summertime, you know, between, uh, if you're, if you're speaking about my training business, you know, we've got, uh, you know, in, in the, in the off season months, we, we have, probably about 40, uh, 40 hockey players that'll be here. Uh, half of them are, half of them are professional and half of them are, are 
amateur, and when I say amateur, many of those are drafted already or playing in, in you know, Division One schools in the United States, but they're not yet full-time uh, NHL players. We'll have that group that'll be here from May until September. At the end of the summer, we run a camp where uh, players that train with, they can train elsewhere. You know, we've got players that come in from, from Russia. We've got players that come in from Sweden. We've got players that are, you know, train in the United States with, or across Canada with other fantastic trainers, but it's an opportunity for them to come in. There, there aren't any other places where there are going to be that many NHL players that are there training, competing day in, day out. So our, our, our NHL uh, group will, will swell up to about 40 NHLers towards the end of the summer. Uh, and then we have, uh, you know, there's always a random mishmash of, uh, you know, NBA players and NFL players that'll, that'll come and go throughout the year. So it's, uh, it's hard to give you an exact number, but I would say, you know, our, our little gym that it's probably about, you know, a little less than 900 square feet, we'll, we'll have about 50 athletes that'll come through the door uh, each day. Nice. So just when I was um, doing a little bit of stalking, as I do on the various <laughs> social outlets before I speak yeah. to people, there was a little um, a little discussion. I can't remember who it was with, and it was um, I think it was quite a while ago, maybe a couple of months ago, with regards to um, bilateral versus unilateral exercises, and that, okay. that old um, discussion been been dragged up, dragged up again. And it was, it was something that obviously Mike Boyle speaks a lot about. Uh, and I think you just, you hadn't gone, you hadn't piled in. Um, you'd just give a, I think a couple of uh, nice little anecdotes and things, but I'd love to get your, your take on it and, and how maybe your views on it have changed over time. Well, yeah, absolutely. If they have. Oh, no, absolutely. So, I mean, I, uh, my background, you know, I was a, I was a football player in college and I, I, I trained with a powerlifting club in the in the off season uh, for football, and I threw shot uh, as well. And then when I uh, when I stopped playing football, I competed in powerlifting. So, you know, I, I had a very strong bias towards believing that you know squatting and deadlifting were not just important. It really was the you know, it, which push comes to shove, it was the only thing you really needed, absolutely needed to do. Um, I started. Uh, Spending a lot of time. At my last year of football, I was uh, I was injured and uh, unable to perform and uh, keep going. And I spent a lot of time try- just through the process of trying to rehabilitate myself, looking at different methods. And that's where I, I, I came across uh, the work of Paul Check. I uh, was introduced to him with by another fantastic strength coach named Paul Gagne here in, in Canada. And uh, at that time, I mean, to do a single legged anything or a single arm anything. I mean, that was just absolutely unheard of, you know, and we, and maybe, I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe I did some single arm bicep curls at some point in time, but I mean, <laughs> you, you certainly, you know, it was just, it was just completely unheard of. And then, uh, you know, reading more and coming across another, uh, Ian King is another guy, an author that I'd read is, is a fellow that I've come to know uh, now, but, to you know, a lot of his work, it was just, it was sacrilege, you know, like to, to, to do all this single leg and it wasn't, you know, even just to do it, I, I, at least I could sort of wrap my head around, okay, well, you know, that was sort of the, you know, the, the cherry on the cake. Like you, you do all your squats and deadlifts and then throw in some, throw in some lunges or whatever the hell else you do. It doesn't really matter. Throw in something. Right. <laughs> so I think those guys really were the first ones to sort of awaken me to the idea. And absolutely with Mike Boyle, when he kind of drew that line in the sand a number of years ago saying that, you know, no one is squatting uh, anymore. I mean, that was, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I think he probably has to be careful some days walking around, like before he starts his car, you know, there's, there's probably a lot of people that <laughs> hate his guts, but I think that, uh, I'm always going to have, a, I'm always going to be a little bit, uh, biased. I don't think I would ever give up squatting and Mike's, um, you know, Mike, Mike's argument is a fantastic one about how the squat, uh, you know, whether it's the front squat, back squat, uh, whatever the hell it is. It's a. It's not a leg exercise. It's a back exercise, which I agree with. But I don't necessarily think that's a reason to throw it out. You know, I think it still becomes a. It's still a. You know, if if the lumbar spine or the, or the musculature of the lumbar spine is the limiting factor, well, that's not necessarily a problem. I mean, you need you need you need those you need those when you're playing football or hockey as well. Um, but the, I think the real thing for me was when I started working. Uh, in the NHL and working at the highest level of the sport. And even before then I had worked with a number of NFL players and, uh, and NBA players. And then, uh, 
I've, you know, I've been uh, a part of a staff at, uh, with an NFL team as a, as a guest coach at a training camp. And I looked at how many players that I saw there that were, were very effective players, whether it was very effective on the ice or very effective on the football field, but they couldn't squat a lick. You know, they, they weren't, they, they weren't great squatters. So I thought, okay, well, this, this can't be, this can't be the limiting factor. It doesn't mean it's not important. It doesn't mean it's not valuable. And we still have, we still have athletes, you know, I've got some of the strongest squatters in the NHL as clients, and I've got some other clients that are, that are incredibly powerful players on the ice and incredibly strong on their skates, but they don't do squats. They're just not, uh, they're not built for it. They, they don't do it well. Uh, we, we do single leg squats until, and instead and it works out fine. So I, I would think there's a huge credit to Mike Boyle. Um, I, I'm sure he's taken a lot of heat. I'm sure he's got a lot of arrows in his back from people, uh, that have judged him and criticized him. But I think the one thing people don't realize is Mike, Mike's not, uh, you know, maybe he's not, uh, looks a little more the part now, but he's not, this guy's not a, a pencil neck who's never been in the gym before. Mike used to, Mike's done lots of squats. Mike's trained lots of people who did lots of squats. He's, uh, he's been around, he's been there, he's done that. So I, I, re- I definitely respect his opinion. My opinion is this, I do whatever works. I do whatever the hell works. I, I, I don't have a, I'm not married to one particular philosophy or, or one system or the other. We, we have athletes that squat and deadlift. We have a lot of athletes that don't. Uh, it's probably something, you know, if you ask me today, I would tell you that I, I, I don't see a time where we wouldn't squat or deadlift in my program at some point. And if you ask me again tomorrow, then someone educates me, uh, you know, as to why that's, that's, that's incorrect. And I could switch my mind tomorrow. I guess that's the, Maybe that's a luxury of me not being a uh, a strength and conditioning brand or a, a guru is that I can I've got the flexibility to change my mind. But um, so I don't know if that's so. I guess I guess for my sake, uh, you know, the argument about like players, you know, I've, I've heard people make the argument. Well, you know, you you skate with uh, one leg at a time. Well, that's actually you know what if you look at the biomechanical research or a time motion analysis of hockey, that's actually not true. You do spend more time on two legs than one. And the players that score most spend more time on two skates than they do on one. So that's not really a, a valid argument. Um, you know, anyone that says the same thing about a sport like uh, like football, for example, well, you know what, at the, at the snap of the ball, most of the guys are in a two-legged position and they generate force from there. So I don't think that's necessarily a valid argument. I think the valid, valid argument from Mike's sake that he made is that he had just seen, and I've had personal conversations with him on this as well, he had just seen so many athletes injure themselves in training doing those exercises that it, it forced him to start looking at alternatives. And then when, and then I think a lot of these, you know, uh, there's a fellow by the name of Devin McConnell at UMass Lowell um, who I've been talking to, and they, they've got some of their athletes now doing these, you know, supported split squats with, you know, four or 500 pounds. Well, my comment to him was like, I've, I've never had – anyone ever go that heavy but i don't have a reason why not i just whether it's fear on my part or just something i didn't think about doing we've never really pushed it so i think that a lot a lot of these people that are so adamantly against the idea of doing single leg training instead of bilateral training whether you call it a squat or whatever i would be curious as to how many of them have given it an honest try you know, how many of those people that are, that are so strongly against the idea have ever tried it out? And I think a lot of them would be shocked. You know, we, we've done that. We had the courage at least to, to do that. And it's it certainly, like I said, I, I, I don't think I would ever eliminate squats or say that nobody is allowed to do them anymore. But I, but I certainly, if I had to side on one or the other, I would say that I probably would, would be more inclined to, to go with someone like, like Mike's opinion on that. Mm-hmm. So you spoke about just the beginning of that, um, beginning of that little segment about guys that are powerful on the ice, but maybe not don't uh, can actualize that power in the gym. How do you flip that and and make sure in the facility that you run to make sure that the the stuff you're doing in that facility is actually transferring to what goes on the ice? Well, that's a that's a fantastic question. I mean, here and here's here's one of the biggest problems that we have is that you know if you look at the concept of of key performance indicators in your sport, right? None of those, like 
all of the things that are so, and, and you should, you know, I, I, like if you're a strength and conditioning coach, I would hope that you're passionate about what you do and you feel like what you do matters. It should. And if it doesn't, you probably should be looking for another job because you're not going to last long or it's certainly not going to make you happy. However, what I noticed was that once you start seeing more and more of these players at the highest levels that aren't world record holders in the weight room, you start to realize, okay, that doesn't mean that it's not important, but this is not the limiting factor. You know, when you, when you see an athlete that, you know, is very subpar in the gym, whether it's their squats or their benches or their single leg, whatever's, but then you see them effective on the ice. Okay. Does that mean that lifting weights is irrelevant? It doesn't matter. No, of course not. It's, it's, it, it would, it, would it benefit that athlete to be stronger? I absolutely believe it would, but it's not the limiting factor anymore. There's something else. It's not the differentiating factor between elite performance and subpar performance. So knowing that, and, and for my sake, especially with hockey, everything that I do in the gym is GPP. Get, you can get as functional as you want. And I've, I've done presentations before and, uh, you know, we've got some great funny slides of guys deadlifting or squatting with hockey skates on. There, there's everything that you do in the gym <laughs> is, is, is nonspecific general physical preparation. I don't care how specific you think you're getting. So I, I think that like when, when you see elite performers more, you know, more often than not, if you look at who, you know, who are the best, you know, who are the best players in any given sport right now? You know, I, you, you could speak to the world of, you know, football slash soccer, uh, you know, but I don't know who those people would be, but would those people be champion powerlifters? Probably not. You know, if I think of the best hockey players, are they are they the best? It's not a one to one. Are they, are the are the best hockey players, the best squatters, or the best deadlifts, or the deadlifters, or bench pressers? No. In fact, if if I had to hazard a guess, often it's more of an inverse correlation than it is positive. So, yeah. yeah so yeah. does okay. So again, okay. So does that mean you know you throw the baby out with the bathwater? No. It just means that as a strength coach, you realize. For me, for example, with my professional athletes the most important thing that I can do for them is to keep them healthy. You know, the, the league minimum salary in the NHL is $600,000 US. If I can allow them to, to squeeze out one more season than they could have without my help, well, I've, I've provided them tremendous value. If I, if I allow them, like, just making sure that your players are available, making sure that all of those, all of those players that you have are healthy and can, can perform optimally on any given night, you've probably done more than anything else. I think that analogy that, you know, I don't even know who first used it, but I, I use it now. So I've, I've, you know, completely stole it from somebody at some point, but it's yours. It's yours yeah, now. mine now. So if <laughs> it was interesting and you told me this, well, I apologize and I'll mea culpa, but uh, it's like most of my guys on any given night in the NHL, most of these guys haven't had a solid night's sleep in weeks. Their nutrition is probably not on point, certainly not perfect. Their training has been lackluster at best. Maybe they've got, you know, they could have a, a new baby at home or newly married guys or single guys that are, you know, busy with their extracurricular activities when they're not at the rink. And regard, regardless, it's, it's like they're skating around with each one of those things. So ineffective sleep or insufficient sleep, there's a parachute attached to you. Lousy diet, there's another parachute. You know, problems at home, there's another parachute, you know whatever the case may be, little, little injuries that technically are not injuries. There's bumps and bruises. So you're not missing games, but they're affecting your performance. There's another parachute. So before I worry about how am I going to maximize this guy's uh, squat or vertical jump, or should I use conjugate or should I use this new Russian peaking pro before you worry about any of that, can, can you snip off one of those parachutes before you actually, I, I, I would, I would guess that on most nights, most of these players are performing somewhere, you know, in the neighborhood of 70% of their actual baseline best ability. So before you worry about making them super, you know, super physiologically great, can you get them back to zero? You got to, you got to get there first before you worry about anything else. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Love it. Well, I'm, I'm conscious that I've kept you for, a long time given the um, technical issues beforehand. Well, uh, so what I'm going to do is just uh, on my part, don't worry about that. Um, I just want to ask you a last question. That's about, I mean, you've mentioned two books already. Were they the two books that you had in mind for being the most influential as well? Oh, or did you have another uh, two? That, oh man, that's such a hard question. Um, 
I, I, so you I, mentioned uh, the Undoing Project and the Go Giver. Is there any other two? It doesn't have to be strength and conditioning, and it could be them too. No, so I would say. I mean, that's, that's, that's position. Impossible. Like, if you ask me, uh, I mean, when you when you ask me that about the two most influential books, if I said in my career, the, and and I would have to give a little, you know, like a, an asterisk beside these to say that, you know, periodization of strength by Tudor Bampa is not a, is not you know wouldn't be a, a you know it's not a go to book for me anymore. And there's lots of people that would argue, uh, you know, the validity of the points, but. I read that book in 1996, I believe, 95 or 96. That was rev- that was revolutionary for me. You know, just just the, those concepts at that time in my life when I read it, that was a game changer. You know, and I hadn't read I I read a lot of uh, exercise physiology textbooks, which you know seemed lame to me and had no bearing on what I do. I, I had read a lot of bodybuilding magazines, which seemed cool, but again, not really related to what I do. And I had had lots of, but that, that, so that to me would have been a book at that time in my life that was a game changer. And if I, you know, I, I would say that if I had to give, if there was one book that I had to give out and I have given out, you know, dozens and dozens of copies, it would be how, how to eat, move and be healthy by Paul check. Again, that was a book that at the time that I read it was, you know, was revolutionary for me. Uh, there, you know, there's a million other books and, and I know you're supposed to, everyone tries to answer this question and sound really, really smart and, and throw out, you know, Frankel or, you know, something, something about like man's, <laughs> man's search for meaning, origin of the species or something. But I, I really, uh, I love to read. I read a lot of books. Uh, I, I, I read more and more books now that have absolutely nothing to do with strength and conditioning. And most of them are just for enjoyment, but, uh, those, if I had to give you two, what's, what's, what's on your bedside table at the minute? Uh, the creature from Jekyll Island. Uh, uh, I just finished uh, Dead Wake, the book about the Lusitania. Okay. Uh, I mean, those, those are the two. I'm, I, I'm about halfway through Sapiens, so I've got a, I've got uh, two night. I always have two books on my nightside table that just depending on what mood I'm in, and then uh, on the weekends I've got I got my weekend book. So Sapiens is my weekend book. I'm about halfway through that one now. I really enjoy it. What do you think of Sapiens? I read it. Uh, got to the end probably last summer. I really enjoyed it. Something completely it. different. Some completely different to what I'm used to reading. I love it. It's and that's you know again it's something that uh, it probably was Paul Check had said it to me and I, I studied some anthropology in university as well. So I, it was something that someone said to me once about most nutritionists would be well served to spend a little more time studying anthropology and a little less time mm-hmm. studying nutritional science. Yeah. And I think that's sort of the the, the one takeaway. You know, uh, again, this is a, this, a Paul Checkism that I, that I've stolen from him is that if we were supposed to do that, how did we get here? <laughs> you know, everyone, yeah. everyone has very strong opinions about how we should be, all be vegans or we should absolutely not be vegans and we should only eat carnivore style or we should all be paleo or we should all do this or don't do that and this is how you train and whatever. I, I think a lot of times, sometimes we'd all be well served to like take an objective look and take a step back and just study a little bit about how, how did we get here? You know, and the things that we, we're so attached to now a lot of these things, you know, didn't exist 200 years ago or, or were foreign concepts, you know? So I think that's, that it's, it's been, you know, again, I'm only halfway through, but it's, I, 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 I'm hooked. It's, it's been great. Yeah, no, definitely. It's a great example of that for, for looking back and the history. Yeah. It's, it's really brilliant. Um, where can people get you on Twitter? Well, been a Twitter man. Yeah, absolutely. So if they're if they're on Twitter, my handle is uh, m underscore nickel. N i c h o l. Yeah, yeah, m underscore nickel. N i c h o l. And uh, if they're on uh, Instagram, then my uh, handle is matt m a t t underscore nickel. N i c h o l. Nice, perfect. I will. Uh link to all that on the site so matt really appreciate you uh you coming on and giving it your time and um apologies for the the mix-up no, no, but um no, we're i'm so sorry i'm you know i'm really i'm embarrassed <laughs> at how bad i am with technology so, yeah. <laughs> no it's all good mate not a problem at all and we'll uh we'll keep in touch and, and thanks again okay thank you it was nice chatting thanks matt Thanks for tuning in to episode 171 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Matt. So massive thanks to Matt for giving up um, probably an hour and a half of his time overall with the chatting that I had, the chat I had before and after the uh, the recording ended. 
So Matt's a super, super good guy. Um, really enjoyed his talk. Uh, really enjoyed getting into the into the depths of, of his his background in teaching, how that's really manifested itself in, in the success he's had uh, as a coach. So also a big thanks to Val Performance, Force Decks and Black Box Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. Some really exciting guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. Trust me, there's some really good ones. So keep, keep, keep tuning in. And if you are enjoying the podcast, don't forget to press subscribe on your chosen podcast player. And if you have got this far in the podcast, uh, well done. And I, I'd really appreciate a rating and review. So if you, do go, if you do listen via iTunes, go to the iTunes app and just click um, an honest rating and review, whether it be three, four, five, one, two stars, whatever it may be. Uh, and that would really help people, um, more people get uh, exposed to the podcast. So thank you very much for tuning in and I will speak to you soon.